Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. that song. That song right there is Lecrae, along with Andy Minio. And uh, that song right there, guys, really captures the human spirit that says this, if you think I can't do it, if you think I can't do it, that just gives me more motivation to show you and to prove you that you are wrong. Say I won't, and I bet I will. (laughs) The say I won't creed is this, tell me that I can't do it, Tell me that I shouldn't even try. Tell me it's impossible. Tell me the risk is too high, the challenge too much or impossible, the feat too tough. Tell me that I won't do it and I will. There's just something about human beings that when we hear don't, can't, or shouldn't, it causes to well up inside of us this desire to do the very thing that we said can't, shouldn't, and don't, it makes us want to do it even more, more than we, maybe we never even wanted to, but it causes us to want it more. Sometimes that's a really good thing, right? Like in terms of pushing forward in your career or or that next um, athletic goal or that next, next fitness goal or maybe your next financial goal or whatever it is. But it can also be detrimental. It can also be a bad thing, all right? So, Grab your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Isaiah 40 as we just think about that mentality for just a moment. Say I won't, and I bet I will. Last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture that sort of hits this nerve, that sort of exposes in human beings sort of the downside oftentimes of that mentality. Talking about men's and women's roles in, in the gathering of the local church last week, we read this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, Let A woman, learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And I argued from that based on the authority of Scripture that in a gathering of both men and women in the church, men should teach and exercise authority in the assembly and women should not. Women should remain silent. Now, not that they should remain silent in all aspects, right? but silent when it comes to the actions, these specific actions of teaching and of exercising authority over men in the church gathering. And in our contemporary congregation, our contemporary culture, that's a hard pill to swallow because our culture says anything a man can do, a woman can do, a woman should do. She might even do it better. And we're going to do everything in our power to break that glass ceiling. Even in strong Christian homes where the Bible's taught and modeled regularly, contemporary culture seeps into us 
because it's just the cultural water that we're swimming in. And even in the church, when we hear things that are according to the Bible, straight from the Bible that men should do these things and women shouldn't, we can bristle and we can get fixated on the small can't instead of the big can, okay? And so I really want to be sensitive to this this morning, all right? I I want to take a Sunday to kind of expand what we talked about last week. I want to take a moment to alleviate some of the potential pain maybe that was felt last week. It sort of struck that nerve and to kind of help get a more fully orbed view, we should say, of women's roles in the church and move from the can't to the can. And so here's today's topic. It's this, principles for happily embracing women's roles in the church. And I have four principles this morning, okay? Principles to happily embracing women's roles in the church. And I pray that this will be beneficial for our women, but but for our men as well, all right? So I'm going to pray. Let's pray right now and ask God to help us. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask God that today we just sort of fill in a lot of the, the gap, a lot of the question marks that were maybe left last week. Father, where we said, well, She can't do that. She shouldn't do that. And so the natural response would be, well, then what can I do? I'm sure that there were sisters even last week that left saying that very thing. What's a girl to do? And so I pray that this week, God, that you would help us come back and to sort of answer these questions and to encourage our sisters. God, we thank you for the women in this congregation. Father, you love them perfectly, God, but we love them as well. And we ask, Lord, that you would just raise up a generation of godly women. The type of women that hell trembles at. Who are not afraid to wade into the battle for the kingdom of God. And so we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So four principles this morning to help embrace, happily embrace women's roles in the church. And the first principle is this, okay, is to desire scripture over culture, okay? Desire scripture over culture. That's where we have to begin. We talked a little bit about that last week, okay? We have to determine whether or not we want to be people of the book, okay? A a, a church of the book. Now, when I say the book, I'm talking about the Bible, which is nothing less than the word of God. What the Bible says, as I said last week, what the Bible says, God says. It's revelation from God through human authors to mankind. It is God's word. And what God's word says is inerrant, infallible, and authoritative. In other words, it's 100% true without any error. Secondly, it's 100% relevant and will never be outdated. And then finally, everything that it says we should believe, we should believe. And everything it says to do, we should do. So beloved, we we must be people of the book. We must desire scripture over culture. Listen to what God's word says in Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to what it says. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And here's what God said to cry. All Flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Church, you need to understand this morning that culture is like grass and like flowers. It's like the people that produce them, okay? People come and go, and culture comes and goes. Ideas come and go. Um, Movements come and go. Isms come and go. Philosophies come and go. They're in vogue for a while, and then they're out of vogue. They rise up, bloom out, and then fade away, just like grass and flowers. If you've studied history at all, you know that to be true. Cultures rise and cultures fall. But God's word is not like that. The word of our God will stand forever. It doesn't come and go. It never fades. It's true and leads us into righteousness and blessing and flourishing. So I I, I just plead with you this morning. With every one of you, man, woman, boy, girl, desire scripture over culture. We can apply that to a thousand different things, a thousand different topics. When God's word and culture diverge, they don't always diverge. Sometimes they kind of run parallel, right? And you don't really notice a difference. You can can be a part of the culture and part of Christ, okay? But when they go different directions, desire to go God's direction. And, And when it comes to understanding women's roles in the church, there's definitely a divergence between God and the culture, okay? And I want to say to you this morning, ladies, it is okay to swim upstream as long as you're swimming upstream with God. Men, it's okay to swim upstream as long as you're swimming with God. Always go with God. Dare to be different. Dare to be godly in a godless age. Desire scripture over culture. That's the first principle I want to share with you this morning. Here's the second one. To happily embracing women's roles in the church is to be on guard when the serpent whispers in your ear. Now, of course, I'm alluding to Genesis 3 where Eve was deceived by Satan in the form of a serpent. All right. We looked at this text last week, but it would help us to see it again. Okay. So here it is. Genesis 3 verses 1 through 6. The word of God says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not Surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. We read that and we say, how in the world did this happen? Well, it happened because Eve wasn't on guard. Satan caught her off guard when he began to whisper in her ear. And ladies, I just say to us, and men too, this is not just a message for ladies this morning. 
But all of us must be on guard, but particularly when we're talking about this passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Satan may not come to you in the form of a serpent, but you'd better believe that he'll come whispering in your ear. Did God really say that women can't hold any positions in church at all? Well, no, that's not what God said. He, he just said that she couldn't teach and exercise authority over men in the assembly. She shouldn't be a pastor, elder, overseer in a church. Did God really say through Paul that women shouldn't teach and exercise authority over men? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what the Bible says. Yes, well, I know what it says. But don't you know that it's no longer true? Right? We've progressed past that sort of sexism. Well, yeah, I mean, I really think that the Bible is completely true. Well, okay, the Bible's true. And it says what it says right there in 1 Timothy 2. But that's surely not what it means. That's just the men's interpretation to keep women in the lower position. That, that's just men trying to hold you down. That's just men trying to keep you from fulfilling your gifting and enjoying the work of the ministry. They know that if you will preach and exercise authority in the church, they will no longer be in power. That's how Satan will come whispering in your ear. And beloved, if you're not on guard, the devil will deceive you and convince you to hold a position contrary to the word of God. Hold a doctrine contrary to the word of God and maybe even do what is contrary to the word of God. As I mentioned earlier, guys, there's just something about human beings, particularly fallen human beings, that when we hear don't, can't, or shouldn't, it causes to well up inside of us the desire to do it even more. Maybe even if we never even wanted to, all of a sudden, because you said, don't do it, you want to do it. Psychologists have a word for this. They call it reactance. Reactance. It's almost like the forbidden fruit tastes so much sweeter. Professor Adam Grant, here's what he once wrote. He said, When someone discourages you from doing something, you often feel that your freedom is being threatened. Or we should say that your dignity even is being threatened, which motivates you to regain choice and control by doing exactly the opposite. Experiments show that children become more interested in a toy after they're told not to play with it. And children and adults become more likely to eat junk food when labels explicitly warn against it. One classic study even found support of the Romeo and Juliet effect. The more parents interfered with the romantic relationship, the stronger the feelings of love the couples developed over the next year. Eve was but human. She did not want the apple for the apple's sake. She wanted it only because it was forbidden. Again, that's, that's what psychologists call reactance. Now, let's be honest this morning. Oftentimes, guys, here's what psychology does, is it takes, it takes actions and, and renames them, relabels them, okay? So the Bible doesn't call this reactance. It, it, it calls it sin, okay? Now, it's not always sinful. Reactance is not always sinful, but it often is. And from the text, we see that Eve, she hadn't even desired the fruit until the serpent whispered in her ear. And the more that she let him whisper, the more she wanted the forbidden fruit. 
And ladies, the same dynamic can work in your heart, all right? The more you let Satan whisper in your ear, the more you will want what God says, don't do that or don't be that. And it may not drive you to become a pastor in a church somewhere, but it can certainly cause you to reject the biblical truth regarding women's roles in the church. It can certainly cause you to become bitter towards the leaders of your church and maybe even bitter against God himself. So I call on you, be on guard when the devil begins whispering in your ear. And as James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the second principle this morning. Here's the third I want to share with you. To happily embrace women's roles in the church, we must see women as indispensable and gifted ministry partners. I, I, I want this to be heard, okay? I want it to be heard well, right? We need women. The church needs women. You're, you're essential. You're vital to the ministry of the church and to this church in particular. I, I love how God has brought amazing and godly women to this congregation. We need godly women. We need strong women of faith to serve God and to build the kingdom. And from the beginning, God made man and woman to work together, to fit together, to complement each other. That's complement with an E, not with an I. Complement with an I means to, to say something good about another person, right? Man, that's a great shirt. I love that shirt. Oh, those boots. Oh, my goodness. Ah! You know, that's a compliment with an I. But compliment with an E means to be a companion. It means to be a counterpart, a cohort. It means to complete one another. Compliment, completementness. That's the biblical view of men and women in the Bible. All right. We are equal, but we're not interchangeable. We're equal, but God has given us different roles. And when we fulfill those God-given roles, guess what happens, man? We flourish. And just because God has given one role to men and a different role to women, that does not mean that one is more important than the other one, okay? Men and women, they need each other, right? And so from last week, men have been given the high role of teaching and exercising authority in the church when it assembles. And not even all men. We'll see next week. As we dive into 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's not even all men. It's just a, a, certain, a certain sector of men, particular men. And women, as we saw last week, have been given the high role, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, of childbearing and child rearing. That is not a lowly task. Guys, I know, that, again, as I said last week, I know the world says that, 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 that role doesn't matter. But we can't think like the world. What does God's word say? And what position does God place on motherhood? It's a very high task in God's eyes. It is a high responsibility. It is highly valued. It is a world-changing commission. But while motherhood and child-rearing, it, it's one of the biggest impacts that women can have in the history of, of the church or has had in the history of the church and in the world, motherhood isn't the only way. Guys, we, we see in the Old Testament, right? We have a Bible full of women who did amazing things for God. 
Many women face great odds and they triumph. Think about the Old Testament. Carrying the kingdom of God forward. As, as Bible scholar Stephen Dempster, he once emphasized, he said, Eve versus the serpent. Sarah and Rebecca versus barrenness. Tamar versus Judah. Jochebed and Miriam versus the Pharaoh. Deborah and Jael versus Sisera. Ruth and Naomi versus death. Hannah versus barrenness. Jehoshaphat versus Athaliah. The victory of Esther over Haman. In all of these examples, we could go on and on. These women of faith, they engaged in the battle to save the people of God and to serve God, to push the kingdom of God forward. And this trend continues. It even expands, actually, in the New Testament where women, we know this well, women were disciples of Jesus. They were prophetesses. It was both men and women. Think about this there in the day of Pentecost. Men and women spoke mightily by the power of God. We read this in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and, and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So women, even in the New Testament here, were prophetesses. Women were also witnesses of Jesus and, and, and for Jesus. Uh, who, who was it that first proclaimed that the tomb was empty? Women, right? Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Tabitha, also called Dorcas, or Mary, the mother of John Mark, or Rhoda, the servant girl, Lydia of Thyatira, or Damaris, the, the Areopagite, Priscilla. Or you could go through a list in the New Testament who were witnesses of Jesus and for Jesus. Women were also fellow heirs or fellow workers, I should say, in the ministry. They were fellow workers in the ministry. Listen to what Jonathan Lehman wrote. He, he said, turn to the ministry of Paul. He counts Prisca, his fellow worker. Throughout Romans 16, Paul lists twice as many men as women, but he commends Twice as many women as men. Prisca risked her neck for Paul, together with her husband. Junia joined him in prison, together with her husband. And Phoebe acted as a patron for both him and others, and probably traveled hundreds of dangerous miles to deliver his letter to the Romans. So guys, women in the first century of the church, they were indispensable and gifted ministry partners. And, and beloved, I want to say to you this morning, the same is true in the 21st century. Women are an essential part of not just the gathering, but also the ministry of the church. I often say at Eastwood, we only have a few pastors. And again, based on the authority of God's word, our pastors are men only, all right? But while Eastwood has only a few pastors, we have as many ministers as we have Christians. That's men 
and women. And I thank God for women who serve mightily in the ministry of this church. And I pray that even more, many more, will dive in and build the kingdom of God through Eastwood. That's our third principle this morning. Here is our fourth principle, and it's this. To happily embracing women's role in the church, we need to encourage women to serve in the multitude of ways God and their gifting has opened for them. All right, I, I, I say it that way on purpose, all right? Because God has, has opened a multitude of ways. Yes, there are a few things that God says that women should not do, all right? But he's opened up the door for a multitude of ways for ladies to serve in this fellowship and in this assembly, in the church ministries here. And so, ladies, I want to encourage you to serve in that multitude of ways as your gifting has opened the door for you, all right? So we've got what God has said, go for it, sister. And then we have, secondly, how he has gifted you. And not all of you have been gifted in the same way, all right? So you've got to find what that gifting is and then apply it to the right context that God has laid out for you, all right? So, yes, I know that Paul said that he doesn't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man in the church gathering. So again, women should not be pastors, elders, overseers of the church. But that's not the only way to serve God. There are a multitude of ways. Uh, Pastor Jonathan Rourke, here's what he wrote. Listen to this. He said, the New Testament reveals how women serve Jesus, the church, and the Great Commission. This is relevant for at least three reasons. First, the role of women in the church is often depicted as an exception, not an expectation. Second, to focus exclusively on the eldership or the pastorate, which is limited to men, distracts from the otherwise diverse and rewarding ministries that both genders engage in. Third, it's possible the church asks too little of our spirit-filled sisters, given the Plentiful gifts and vitally essential partnership in the gospel. I think that's a good quote, man. Ladies, I want to say again, you're indispensable and gifted ministry partners. And I want to thoroughly encourage you to serve in the multitude of ways that God has gifted you. And let me just give you a few. Continuing with some insight from Jonathan Rourke. Here, here are six ways we see women doing church ministry in the New Testament. One, we see them as generous patrons. Think about the work of the ministry there, right? Jesus and the disciples had patrons, and they were often wealthy women. Paul's ministry was financed by women. Others volunteered their homes, and so it's clear that God entrusts wealth to women, and they can joyfully uh, utilize it for the support of the gospel, all right? Second, we see in the New Testament as hard workers, Hard workers for the ministry, right? Several men worked diligently with Paul, but many women did as well. They were workers in the Lord, such as Mary, or Tryphenea, or Tryphosa, or Persis, who worked hard in the Lord, the Bible says. Going a step further, Priscilla and Aquila were essential partners. Three, as edifying teachers. Now, I want to say that again, as edifying teachers, some women certainly have the gift of teaching. 
and deploying it in the right way, in acceptable ways, is the key, right? Remember, Paul doesn't say that he forbids women to teach and exercise authority in the church, period. No, he forbids women teaching and exercising authority over men in the assembly. Therefore, you just need to understand, ladies, with the proper audience, women should certainly exercise their teaching gifts. They should certainly exercise their administrative gifts with other women and with youth and with children. If God has gifted you to teach, teach, but in the right context. Fourth, as faithful evangelists. Faithful evangelists. Think about in Philippians, Paul is clear that both Euodia and Syntyche, and I know some of these names, it's like, I don't know any women named these names, okay? But they're all women that I'm mentioning here, just trust me. Euodia and Syntyche, the Bible says in Philippians that they labored side by side with Paul in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. This was an evangelistic effort and and one that bore fruit through the faithfulness of these women. And you need to understand, ladies, that's still true today. God wants to use you to reach the world for Jesus Christ. I mean, just think, I mean, we as Southern Baptists, we should especially understand this because every Christmas, every Easter, we take up missions offerings in the name of women who had a heart for of evangelism and engaged in evangelism with Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong. Fifth, fifth, as empathetic caregivers. Empathetic caregivers. Listen, Jesus was often in the company of women who followed him, the Bible says, and ministered to him. Think about Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome, women compromised his ministry support structure. And and we see this with Paul. We see it with the other apostles. And we see it today. Six, we would say this, as worthy examples. Worthy examples. Godly women in the church are called to teach and to train younger women we're familiar with that exemplary woman in, in Proverbs 31. And, and, and some of you might say, well, pff, I'll never be that level. Just the regular, everyday to day faithfulness of a woman in Christ is exemplary. And so you can all be exemplary. So guys, I, I just want to say to you this morning, listen, ladies, women must never underestimate the value of demonstrating their character character that's worthy of imitation, the body of Christ. It's a community that deliberately nurtures the next generation, and, and, and women play just a pivotal role in that sacred trust. And so, beloved, I would say to you that that's just the beginning. I gave you six examples, and they were broad examples on purpose, but that's just the beginning. I found one sister who made a list of 75 ways that ladies can biblically minister in the church, right? We could go on and on. We could point to music leadership, leading us in singing. During the worship gathering, we could point to prayer leadership or or greeter ministries or fellowship ministries. We could point to committee service and children's ministry and youth ministry and counseling ministry. I mean, again, we could go on and on. So ladies, I challenge you. Take your eyes off the can't and engage in the multitude of cans when it comes to church 
ministry, I, I encourage you to serve in the multitude of ways that God and your gifting have opened for you. So what's a girl to do? Happily embrace her God-given roles in the church and go serve your king. Here's my final prayer as the praise team comes. May Eastwood's women be content and excellent in serving God in every way that he sees fit. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.